Greetings, Progateers, and welcome to Is This Prog, an all-new podcast series from the creative minds behind Desert Island Dicks, Keep Talking, and The Revelation Station. In each episode, I'll be listening to a different album and asking the question, Is This Prog? Episode 1, Abbey Road, by The Beatles. Our first artist is perhaps the most famous group of all time. I'm referring, of course, to The Beatles. Formed in 1960 in Liverpool, The Beatles began life as a four-piece skiffle band, The Quarrymen, in 1956, going through a number of lineup and name changes. John Lennon recruited Paul McCartney into the band in 1957, before Paul's friend George Harrison joined in 1958. The Beatles were finally born when John's friend Stuart Sutcliffe bought a bass guitar and joined the group in 1960, suggesting they call themselves The Beatles as a tribute to Buddy Holly and the Crickets. They used the name The Silver Beatles for a while, before shortening it simply to The Beatles by August 1960. They recruited drummer Pete Best for a residency in Hamburg and played extensively as a five-piece. After meeting Brian Epstein and signing him as their manager, they suffered the loss of Stuart Sutcliffe, who died of a brain haemorrhage. Now down to a four-piece, they were famously rejected by Decca before being signed by George Martin to EMI's Parlophone label. During recording, George complained about Pete Best's drumming, so they replaced him with Ringo Starr. The Fab Four were born at last, and quickly recorded their first single and albums, which became smash hits. By 1969, the band had taken over the world, become one of the most influential bands of all time, and were on the verge of splitting up. It had been a wild six years since their first single, Love Me Do, and they burnt out emotionally. In 1970, they finally called it a day when Paul McCartney announced he had left the band. Unbeknownst to the public, John had already quit the year before. Abbey Road is the Beatles' 11th studio album, following on from their soundtrack to the animated Yellow Submarine movie, and subsequently followed by Let It Be. The band began work on the album in February 1969, immediately after finishing the recording of Let It Be, then known as Get Back, which was abandoned at the time. They worked on it sporadically until August the 20th, when all four Beatles were present in the studio together for the very last time, mastering the finished album. Relationships were so strained between the band members that John wanted all of his songs on one side of the album and Paul's on the other. Paul wanted to create an interlinked sequence of songs, similar to Sgt Pepper, whilst John wanted to have distinct and separate songs. Later, John would express his dislike for the album, calling the medley on side two, Junk. It was finally released in September 1969, by which time John had already left the band, a fact that was kept secret from the public until April 1970. It debuted at number one in the UK and sold four million copies in its first two months on sale. At the time, it had a muted critical reception, with many reviewers calling the music inauthentic and artificial. It's since been acknowledged as one of the band's great albums, and nowadays regularly turns up in lists of the greatest albums of all time. The Get Back sessions were reassessed and worked on, with overdubs and mixing continuing into 1970. Abbey Road is in the unique position of being the last recorded album by the Beatles, but not the last one to be released. 
In the context of the rest of their discography, it straddles almost all eras in sound, with the more trippy second side of the album sitting comfortably with the doo-wop of Oh Darling. Its mix of styles could lead you to believe it's a compilation, but regardless, it is unmistakably a Beatles record. 1969 was the first year where prog music started to become a thing. The heavy hitters were releasing albums left, right and centre. Genesis released their debut from Genesis to Revelation in March. Pink Floyd dropped soundtrack album More in June and Umma Gumma in October, with Yes unleashing their self-titled first LP in July. And not forgetting debut releases in September from Vandegraaff Generator, in the USA at least, and King Crimson in October, amongst many, many others. In terms of undisputed prog rock, it was a good year, with Abbey Road potentially slotting into that list in September, if we classify it as prog, that is. So before we get into the meat of the album, apologies to Paul McCartney and other vegetarians, let's remind ourselves of the rules of prog. Rule 1. Do the songs contain meaningful lyrics, perhaps in the form of a story? Rule 2. Do songs deviate from verse, chorus, verse structures? Number 3. Does the album contain songs which are over 5 minutes in length? The Beatles are one of those bands that straddle musical genres and did so across their whole career. They were also one of the bands that walked the fine line between pop and prog, and never more so than on Abbey Road. True, Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is widely regarded as one of the progenitors of prog rock, and it's certainly an early example of a concept album, but it has its roots in the more psychedelic sounds of the 13th floor elevators, Captain Beefheart and Frank Zappa. I could equally have looked at the 1968 self-titled The Beatles, better known as The White Album, but the recording of that album meant that many of the tracks didn't feature the full band. You could consider that album to be several solo projects all stuck together and not really a band album at all. album to be recorded by the Beatles, Abbey Road carries a lot of weight, pun definitely intended. It stands as the final statement by the most famous of all pop-slash-rock bands, 
But listeners, is it prog? To answer that question, we'll have to listen to the tracks. You just heard a snippet there of Come Together, the opening number. This one really pushes the boundaries of what people thought of as the Beatles sound. It has that distinctive bass line and lyrics that sound as though they're meaningful, but are probably actually just nonsense. Nevertheless, this is very progressive in style. It sounds different to the rest of the album and also very different to the usual Beatles output. It goes into something, which is widely considered one of the greatest love songs of all time. And it's a beautiful song, but here we're on more familiar territory. We've got the verse-chorus-verse structure and very simple, if heartfelt, lyrics. So two tracks into the album and we could be 50-50 on whether this is prog or not. Ah, but then along comes a bit of a curveball. Silverhammer is a humorous track. It's seemingly about a serial killer. But anyway, regardless, it's entertaining lyrics and is very much in the vein of prog songs such as Genesis's Harold the Barrel or ELP's Benny the Bouncer in that it tells a short story with a big dollop of dark comedy at its core. Musically as well, Maxwell is trying new things and admittedly the style is very much in the vein of other Beatles tunes and on this album Octopus's Garden is another example which are fun upbeat tunes. But in this case we've got an actual clanging hammer striking an anvil and some multi-part harmonies which the Beatles are really experimenting with on this album. But by all accounts this was a song too far and it's often cited as one of the reasons the band split up. So progressive it split a band? Or the opposite? Too derivative to be worthwhile? Well personally I love the song. I find more in it to like each time I listen to it and it would not have seemed out of place on a mid-70s prog rock album. 
Unlike Octopus's Garden, it didn't become a nursery rhyme, understandable based on its subject matter, but in terms of this album, I think that it qualifies as a prog song. As always, if you disagree, please email and let me know. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. about the coral that lies beneath the waves oh what joy for every girl and boy knowing they're happy and they're safe we would be so happy you and me no one there to tell us what to do I'd like to be in an octopus's garden with you In an octopus's garden with you In an octopus's garden with you We've got a real throwback next though. Oh Darling is not just a throwback to the Beatles' early days, but also a doo-wop pastiche. So we can be confident that it's not a prog rock track then, yes? Oh Darling I think it's safe to say as good as a song this is, it isn't a prog song. But then using different styles of music is often an indicator of later prog bands, particularly those artists who try to innovate. Take Peter Gabriel for example. He moved seamlessly over his first four solo albums from overblown bombast to world rhythms. Whilst on the whole it's true that classic prog bands stick to a formula, again I'm looking at you mid-70s era yes, the essence of prog is to try new things. And I think that's what the Beatles are doing here. Jumping ahead, the track Because, on side two of the album, makes use of that classic prog instrument, a moog, to create an ethereal sound. Love is all, love is new. Love is all, love is you. Blue, it makes me cry. Because 
and also vocal overdubs which were difficult to achieve in the late 60s without the benefit of 24-track recording studios. In a future episode we'll feature more songs that have overdubs, but here in 1969 it makes the song sound very different and dreamlike. Most definitely a prog track in my opinion, and it certainly breaks the verse-chorus-verse as it seemingly has no chorus. So far we're certainly leaning towards this fulfilling the prog criteria. We've had meaningful lyrics in the form of a story, and now we've got a song that breaks the structure. Yes, there are more straightforward songs like Something and Here Comes the Sun. Overall, about halfway in, it sure seems proggy. But what about longer tracks? I've not talked about anything over five minutes and that is definitely a criteria for a prog album. Well, let me introduce you to I Want You, She's So Heavy. This is the second longest Beatles track after Revolution No. 9 from the White Album. In fact, it's a relatively straightforward blues rock track which is credited with influencing early heavy metal bands, but it's the ending which makes it a bit different. 
He has a dark, brooding guitar line that kicks in, repeating over and over, which reminds me of Black Sabbath or even later bands such as Soundgarden. It loops, another innovation, for around 15 times before the song abruptly ends without any warning at the 7 minutes 44 seconds mark. Other songs on the album come close to 5 minutes long, but this one goes well over, and it also ticks the box for deviating from the song structure too. It repeats the refrain of I want you several times, but is that a verse or a chorus? It kind of fits both, and it also fits neither. For me, this song is another proper prog song. It's long, and it sounds different to anything released before. This is a long way from the more traditional pop songs on the album, and it also ends the first side of the vinyl album rather abruptly, as mentioned, and it's the second side that gives us some real evidence of whether or not this is a prog album. Frog bands, the Beatles need a side-long track, and we get it here. Here comes the sun, and because, start the second side before going into You Never Give Me Your Money, then subsequently an eight, or nine, track medley. Without this, we probably wouldn't have had Close to the Edge, Carnival Number no. 9, or Supper's Ready. We may even have missed out on Misplaced Childhood by Marillion, or even Autobahn by Kraftwerk. The tracks that make up this unnamed melody all started life as individual pieces and were stitched together to make one long piece. As such, they sometimes crash into each other with no rhyme or reason.
Case in point, Sun King does not really flow into Mean Mr. Mustard. That's not to say that it jars, but the style of the two songs are very different. Although Mean Mr. Mustard and the following, Polythene Pam, do fulfil the meaningful lyrics in the form of a story criteria. Those two tracks are much closer in style and they also sound similar to She Came In Through The Bathroom Window. then flow into Golden Slumbers, which slows down the tempo again and harkens back to the dreamlike sound of Because, although with added drums and strings. One stores away to get back homeward. One stores away to get back home. Sleep pretty darling, do not cry And I will sing a lullaby McCartney does give a real heartfelt vocal performance on this track, and it does stick to the song structure there. We then get a reprise of sorts with Carry That Weight, making musical and lyrical reference to You Never Give Me Your Money. You 
this brings the whole medley to a nice rousing end, changing key into the end. You can see these last three tracks as one piece, and it certainly makes more sense than the How Dare I Be So Beautiful into Willow Farm sections of Supper's Ready, for example. interesting concept, these disparate songs all glued together to make a larger whole. Even though they're listed separately on the album, the crossfade into each other makes it virtually impossible to listen to them independently. They don't tell a coherent story, they don't have continuing characters, apart from me, Mr Mustard and Polythene Pam, they truly are just pieces of songs that make up one longer song. And isn't that the most prog-like aspect of the whole thing? Why waste unfinished material? when it could just be forged with something else and made into something new. The sidelong track became one of the most recognisable prog rock traits, and it clearly started here. Throughout their career, the Beatles pushed musical boundaries. Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, The White Album, even to a certain extent, Revolver, all pushed against their musical constraints. I could easily argue that any one of those is a prog rock album. But it's here on Abbey Road, their last recorded work, that they really achieve that potential. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I wanna tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, someday I'm gonna make a mine. Oh yeah, someday I'm gonna make a mine. Yes. Songs have meaningful lyrics, which feature stories and characters, but even something has a depth that is missing from other love songs. Yes, the songs often break the verse-chorus-verse structure, with Because and Sun King not really having either. And then of course there are the songs which last more than five minutes, with I Want You meeting that criteria, and I Will Die on the Hill of the Side 2 medley being one long song. So, to answer the question posed at the start of this episode, is this prog? I'm going to come down very firmly on the side of yes, this is indeed a prog album. Undoubtedly, the sounds created here will influence countless artists. The Beatles in their swan song have once again torn up the rulebook of popular music and left it for someone to pick up and try to put back together. My verdict? This is prog. Join me for the next episode when I'll be listening to Queen's second album, Queen 2. Thank you for listening to Is This Prog? from the Revelation Station. Presented, written and produced by Simon Helper. All music is copyright the respective artists. If you've enjoyed it, please consider buying or streaming. Send your album or rule suggestions, or just your thoughts on the episode, to revelationstationpodcast at gmail.com. 
You can support this podcast by subscribing on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash revelationstationpodcast or for a less long-term commitment, you can donate the price of a coffee by heading to buymeacoffee.com and searching for The Revelation Station. This has been a Revelation Station production. Well, was that Mr. Monday? Oh, yes. You two are in prison together, were you not? I, I saw him around. <laughs>